Welcome, this is the Sales IQ Podcast. My name is Luigi Prestonenzi, and I'm on a mission to help salespeople be the best sales professionals they can be. Each week, we'll bring you a different message from thought leaders from around the globe, so we can help you master the art of selling. Can you believe it? We're already halfway through the calendar year. This year is going fast. It's the start of the new quarter for many. It's a new billing month. For some, it's even the new financial year. And some have experienced some incredible success and some have struggled to get to this point so far. But about selling is no matter what happened yesterday, it all starts again today. Is that the results of yesterday don't define who we are and don't dictate the results we make tomorrow. And why I'm really excited to share this episode with you is because we're going to talk to G, the founder of Lemlist, and we're going to talk to him about how he has defied all the odds to build his business to get where it is today. He's competing in a very competitive category, a category in the tech sector that has seen hundreds of millions of dollars in funding, VC funding, to companies to help them grow and scale. And G hasn't accepted any VC funding. He's bootstrapping it. He's hustling his way to success. And this is an incredible story that every sales professional should listen to because it's a story of mindset. It's a story of of, defense, of saying, no, I'm not going to allow the external environment dictate to me how successful I'm going to be. He has a clear vision. He's dedicated to achieving the goal that he's looking to achieve. And he was criticized and he's still criticized. And we're going to talk about the fact that he he turned down millions of dollars in VC funding this year because he wants to do it alone. He doesn't want somebody to come in and change the value system of his company. And again, another learning that's going to come from this is he's not allowing money, that financial incentive to drive the decisions that he makes. And this business is becoming a very successful business. The thing I love about G is G tracks everything and shares his learning with everybody. I think he's up to about 10 mil in annual recurring revenue, which is actually a really incredible outcome to achieve. The VC funding that he turned down, I think, valued his company at over $150 million. He's been able to do this in a short period of time with no capital. He actually talks about that story of him not having much money left in his journey. This episode is brought to you by Vidyard, Vidyard, the online video tool for sales professionals. Vidyard makes it easy for sales teams to turn text-based emails into personal video messages and will help you engage with your prospects and create an incredible buying experience for them, which will ultimately help you reach your pipeline and revenue goals. So do yourself a favor Get to vidyard.com, sign up, and start using video in your sales process. So as you approach the new financial year, or as you the new quarter, or you could be halfway through your financial year, depending on which market you're serving, this episode should serve as a great reminder that anything is possible when you put your mind to it, that you can achieve anything, that the world of possibility is sitting in your hand and you can turn the impossible into possible. And that is what I love and that is why 
I'm such a big fan of G and I use his platform. I engage with his content and I love the way he goes about things. So I can't wait to share this episode with you because there's so much learning for sales professionals, entrepreneurs, marketers, anyone that's striving to be the best they can be. This is the episode for you. Welcome to the show, G. Uh, thanks for having me, Luigi. All right, well, fantastic. We're, we're pumped, man. We're um, all the way from France. Um, where we, 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 we've got our great friends from Lemlist. I'm the founder of Lemlist talking about, you know, the entrepreneurship journey, um, the journey to success, and also to talk tactics around conducting that, that cold outreach and cadence and, and how to use email to better engage with your prospects. But mate, before we get started, tell us a bit more about your journey um, and how you started in, in the world of sales. Yeah, definitely. So um... Initially, I had a lead generation agency, so I was running like sales prospecting campaigns for our clients, uh, booking meetings and uh, allowing them to increase their sales. So I was pretty much using every single tool on the market. And after some time, I just got like kind of bored of all the tools because I knew we could build something that could be more personalized, give better results to sales rep, entrepreneurs and marketers who are running campaigns. So in 2018, we, we launched uh, Lemlist with my two co-founders. Uh, three years later, we have like uh, 10,000 plus customers worldwide, including companies like Zendesk, Uber, Amazon. And uh, we are, I think like we have customers in about 80, 85 to 90 countries. Vast majority of our market is based in the US. And on top of that, we have also built the biggest community around sales automation called uh, the Lemlist family. So it's been exciting. <laughs> Fantastic. And mate, you, I mean, I've, I've had the privilege of knowing you for a while um, and seeing, you know, your content and, and, and learning more about you. And one of the things that I really love about you is you're a real, um, you know, a real growth hacker. Like you, you, you find ways to, to, to essentially drive growth in, in using multiple different, you know, platforms. Um, Talk to me about that learning. Like, where did you find, where did you find that skill to be able to, you know, to bring these hacks together <laughs> that allow you to grow? I think I've been like a, a creative person like uh, my entire life. So I think like when you are forced to, to find, you know, like solution when you have very few resources, it forces you to be creative. Yeah. So we started the company with uh, with uh, only like a thousand dollar in total, so we each put <laughs> me and my co-founders about like three hundred and forty dollars each, and now you know like uh, it's worth uh, hundreds of millions. So I'm like, it's okay, it's uh, it's, uh, it's quite a nice growth. <laughs> but uh, yeah. but to be honest, it's uh, I think it's it's about like uh, spending time talking to people. Um, so what I love about email outreach in general is that it allows you to build relationships with anyone, anywhere in the world. Yep. You just have to reach out, build relationships. And from there, you can learn a lot from other people. So that's kind of what I've been doing for a lot of time. So meeting with people, exchanging about the things that was working for them, trying to understand how I could apply this to my business. Also trying to get inspiration, you know, like from other, you know, it's not, for, so we are in the SaaS space, so software as a service space. But it doesn't mean that because we're in the SaaS space that we need to do exactly the same as every single other software. Mm. Sometimes it's great, you know, to go and see like uh, 
I don't know, B2C brands like mm. uh, Nike, Apple, what exactly are they doing to get such a huge traction? And from there, you know, you can get inspiration. So I try to get inspiration from pretty much everywhere. I read a lot. I listen to a lot of podcasts. And from there, I think I just also love doing things and testing. And yeah. this is, I think, where, you know, like the more you test, the more you're going to be creative and yeah. the more you'll find solutions. And would you classify yourself... Um as a tech sort of your skill set around, is, is it tech or are you sales and marketing? Uh, so I, initially I'm a chemical engineer. <laughs> so <laughs> okay. I would say like engineering mindset, yeah. but uh, I also have like a, a master in marketing. So I'm more like this guy because obviously I'm the CEO in the company. So yeah. I used to run by myself like uh, support marketing and sales for quite some time because uh, we wanted to keep the team as small as possible in the early days. And now, you know, like uh, we, I just like uh, handle the business, let's say. Yeah. Cause, and then before we get into sort of some of the tactics that salespeople can do to, to get more from their email outreach, um, I would love to just focus on your recent capital raise story. Um, can you tell us a bit about that journey? Cause you mentioned that you invested a thousand dollars to start with. Yeah. So yeah. So essentially in the, in the early days of, um, of Lemlist, I would always remember that I was reading all these articles in TechCrunch or in the press, you know, stating like this startup raised X millions and it's a new success story, et cetera. And I felt like the only path to success was going through fundraising. Yeah. So I started talking to investors and they were telling me, you know, like, first you're a nobody. So I was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> then, they, then they were saying like, uh, you're never going to succeed. It's such a crowded space. You'll never make it to 1 million in AR, et cetera, et cetera. So I said, okay, like, you know what, I'm going to stop with that. And at that time, actually, I received a, an email from our customers saying, hey, G, thanks a lot for helping me out. Just closed this $20,000 deal. <laughs> and, uh, and, and at that time, actually, that person was not paying our software because it was like early beta. <laughs> so I was like, you're making a ton of money. I'm not. But that feeling of helping someone was yeah. really grateful. So I was like, okay, I'm going to just be all in on bootstrapping. So not raising capital. And very quickly, we became profitable then highly profitable. And then we had more and more like funds coming to me. And one thing that I always try to do is give back to other entrepreneurs started that journey. And what I realized that a lot of people were coming to me saying, Hey G, can you help me fundraising? Can you help me like give it, getting intros to X, Y, Z VCs? Because I get on well, you know, like with investors in general, I like to chat with them, etc. But overall, I felt like a lot of people were wasting their time on trying to raise capitals when actually what they need is talking to their users, polishing their products, mm. spending time, you know, creating the best content and actually like doing real things and not defocusing themselves from, you know, like their actual business and going through raising funds. So I was like, okay, back in, I think it was, um, I think September, 2020, I was having a chat with uh, Nathan Latka yeah. Uh, was telling me like, uh, he asked me like, okay, you have super profitable business. Uh, you're growing like rapidly. Like, why would you like to raise funds? And I said, the only reason why I would like to raise funds is to have an article in TechCrunch. And then we both laughed. <laughs> and then he, and then he was like, you know what? You what you could do is meet a fund, have them like uh, send you a term sheet, and then get in touch with a journalist and say you're saying no to this, uh, this amount of money and then have a headline, they said no to X million, here's why. And yeah. then he told me you could get your article. 
And then we laughed. <laughs> and, and, and then afterwards, I was like, this is actually not such a bad idea, you know? So because I think like, uh, I think for some companies, it's really helpful to fundraise. And I think it's important that they can. Mm. I, I decided to document everything on my YouTube channel from the fundraising process. So I announced that within two weeks, we wanted to raise 20 million. But my idea was that if we received any offer, we're just going to say no. So things when I announced it got a bit crazy because I had like every week I have investors reaching out to me. But when I announced it, I had like maybe 50 or 60 people just like reaching out like within two days. So it went yeah. like really, really crazy. I did like a pitch entirely like in public with a VC based in the US. So it's like 50 minute pitch uh, where I go through all our numbers and everything. So VCs got even more excited with all the numbers and all the things. So we started receiving emails, WhatsApp messages, phone calls, like it went really crazy. Then we received the first term sheet of $20 million at $100 million valuation. So I announced it again on YouTube. And after that, I had another term sheet of $30 million at the same valuation. And uh, this time it, has like, uh, it had like $15 million in cash out. So this was a whole different story because... Yep. When you get money for your company, like or with a traditional VC, the money goes into the company. It's not in your pocket. However, with the second offer, it was 15 million in the company and 15 million for me and my co-founders. So $5 million each. Yep. And we would have kept the majority of the shares on the company. So at that point, I was like, that's a lot of money. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I come from like a very like modest family. Like uh, my parents didn't study, like they, yep. they are not especially rich or anything. So I was like, you know, it's a, it's a life-changing amount of money. What do you want to do? And then, you know, I thought about all those entrepreneurs that kind of like wasted time in fundraising and that never had the chance to do it because what they thought was the success should be about raising funds. So I need to raise funds. And then I thought also about like, I come from a, a very like, a, I would say like diverse neighborhood with a, a lot of people with low incomes, et cetera. And Essentially, like um, when you look at the person we're actually fundraising, you have zero diversity. It's mm. always like white male with higher education, and I'm like the good example for it. But how exactly do we want to inspire enormous people, like or a huge amount of people, to become entrepreneur? If what we say is that to succeed you need to fundraise, but mm. to fundraise you need to be like a, a white male with a higher degree. So I was like. My message, I think, is stronger than just money. Yeah. And I just decided with the team to say no to the $30 million and the $15 million in our pocket, just so we can, could send this message. And afterwards, we received a lot of press. A lot of people ask us, like, why exactly did we say no, et cetera, et cetera. And for me, it was great because I think I, we received, like, thousands of messages from entrepreneurs worldwide yeah. saying, like, you know, I was about to quit or I didn't know if I could start my startup because I needed, I thought I needed fun. Like mm -hmm. a lot of people said that, you know, like I thought I needed to raise money, but actually what you said about, you know, like uh, that the best money you can get is the money from your customers really resonated from for yeah. a lot of people. And, and they were like, okay, maybe it's now is the time, you know, for me to go get, you know, like do that sales prospecting, send that email, send that LinkedIn message, et cetera, to, just like go prospect, you know, like meet your, with your potential customers, like bring value to people and eventually you'll grow a business. Yeah. So that was kind of the story. <laughs> That's an amazing story. And I, I, we could, we could, 
we could talk about this for so long, but I think the story for me, you know, the fact that you've said no to such a, a massive amount, that's a life changing, right? It's $15 million. It's a, a number of mil in your pocket. Plus you get to accelerate your company's growth. But I think, and this would resonate for a lot of sales professionals is that the extrinsic motivator doesn't always compel you to take action. And I think a lot of the time sellers and messaging is focused on that extrinsic instead of really going deeper and thinking about that intrinsic motivator into purpose into what really drives people to take action. Now, I think that you need a combination of both, but in your case, you're very intrinsically motivated um, and you've got a very compelling why and that what compels you to get out of bed each day. Yeah, definitely. I think like this is something, you know, like uh, a lot of people don't actually ask themselves, why are they doing things? Yeah. And the reason why I think is that whenever you're like um, discussing with founders or like extremely successful founders and they're talking about the why, et cetera, like the impression I had for a long time was that people, you know, like would wake up one day and say, okay, this is my why. And now I know for the rest of my life what I'm going to do and why I'm going to do it. And this is what's going to motivate me. But to be entirely transparent, when we started Lemlist, uh, my girlfriend at that time was paying like the rent. <laughs> I had very few like, uh, you know, like money left in my bank account. And essentially like the reason I started is, okay, I wanted to have my business. I, I just wanted to make enough money to get myself a salary. Yeah. That was my why, you know, and, and I didn't have this big vision or big ambition about how I wanted to change the world of anything, you know, like my why was getting enough money to pay the rent, get some food and spend a bit more time with my friends and get the freedom I wanted, you know? Yeah. But eventually later on, as you grow and as your business grow, it allows you to be more ambitious because I think like ambition came from a lot of different factors. But yeah. if you have never grew up or if, if you didn't grow up in, uh, I think, you know, like with a very rich family or with ambitious people around you, it's going to be difficult for you to cultivate mm. that ambition. But, you know, as you launch your business, initially I was not ambitious or my ambition was, I would say, very limited. But as I saw that I was going and we were trying to achieve like greater things, I became more ambitious. And from there, I, I started thinking, okay, because I'm not doing this for money in the end, like I was happy with very few money. I have much more now, but you know, mm. I, I haven't changed. I'm still the same person. I just thought, okay, what, what exactly is my motivation? And from there, you know, I could really dig deep into my why. And the fact that what I love is actually like helping people, helping people succeed, helping people have similar lifestyle to the one I have and same freedom, but it takes time. So mm. if you're a young entrepreneur listening and you're, don't have your why yet, it's okay. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> like, don't put too much pressure. But I think from what you said, you know, you might not have had a very clear vision of why, but you still yeah. had, there was still an intrinsic motivator where you wanted to have that freedom. You said, you know, freedom. I wanted to be, spend more time with my friends. So there was something else driving you. And I think like, you know, as I've been, I'm a career sales professional. I've been selling my whole life and, I think one of the things that we find, and, and yes, just like entrepreneurship, sales is becoming quite a cool job, right? You know, like they're publicizing yeah. <laughs> it, but 
but there is that emotional ride that can come with it. Yeah. There's the highs and the lows. Um, not always prospecting works and sometimes your pipeline's pretty dry and sometimes you start questioning your capability. And that's also the same world in entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship can be a very challenging part of life, right? Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I'd love to talk to you about that because I think a lot of people get into a position where things aren't working and they start to question themselves. Um, and it can have a really adverse impact on people's mental state. Um, you, your journey sounds really exciting. It's like everything was up. You know, you started the <laughs> <No>. journey, you <laughs> raised cash, like, you know, you had all this money coming to you. But was there a point in time where you really questioned, was this going to work? Yeah, of course. Uh, many times, actually, like, uh, it's, I, I think it's, I think the idea, something that I like, you know, it's when you have like a, up and downs a lot, you know, like it's yeah. doing like sinusoidal thing. And, and then sometimes it's like, it's good to zoom out. And when you zoom out, this is where you see that everything's going up. And yeah. right now I'm just talking about the zoom out vision, but <laughs> the reality is uh, many times we thought we were going to, you know, like stop uh, working on Lemlist because, you know, sometimes it's about founders disagreements or founders misalignment, this type of things. Like uh, eventually, you know, like my co-founders are, a bit older, working on the tech side. So we have different backgrounds. We're very different people. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, when you have communication issues and, you know, you need to decide where to go on the company, what choices, like important choices to make, and you see that you're not aligned, this is tough. And yeah. during these tough times, you know, like uh, I think overall entrepreneurship is is something that, especially if you're the CEO, it's, it's a lonely path. You know, it's mm. like... Uh, as you grow the company, you know, you feel like you're surrounded with more people. But the truth is like the more people in the company, the lonelier you will get. Like yeah. it's, uh, it's because people are looking up to you, like they are expecting you, you know, to always take the big decision. And that's your role as a, as a CEO. But, you know, overall, like um, we had we had some some tough times. We had like times where, um, you know, like. Obviously, like uh, in the early days, you're always wondering because you're, we were growing, we are always growing. But at first, you know, it's like you're growing 20% months over months. But when you're making like 1,000 euros and then you go up to 1,200, then 1,440. And it's, it's still like very few money, you know? So you're like, okay, is it going to go like this? And 20%, 20%, it's nice because eventually in like a year, I could get a decent salary or... Is it sometimes going to stop and I'm just going to add very small amount of money yeah. each month? And you're asking yourself all these questions. And I think for me, like uh, what was tough, especially in the early days was uh, I kind of like stopped visiting like uh, my family because every time I was seeing them, like the first question was like, are you paying yourself now? And you know, mm. like, you know that you don't want to answer that question because <laughs> the answer is no. Yeah. <laughs> and, and this is a tough part. And same with my friends, you know, like, uh, Eventually, a lot of people were telling me because at that time, you know, I was engineering degree plus master degree from the best business school in France. And I had a lot of job offers and my friends from uni and from like business school were all making a lot of money. So they were telling me like, why the fuck are you like starting your business <laughs> when you could be yeah. like making a lot of money, enjoying yourself, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, like they ask yourself this question and at some point, you know, like you ask this question to yourself as well. Like, is what am I doing the right thing? Yeah. Am I going through? And, and I think like, you know, like coming back to the, to the why, I think like something I always enjoy was to learn new things and mm. test new things. And for me, as long 
as you consider the journey as a learning process, and as long as you're enjoying whenever you're learning things, no matter the ups and downs, you'll always like mm. get up. You know, like you can fall, you can fail, but you will always get up. And and for me, I think what I kind of like where I switched my mindset from is when I realized that if you go like really, really down, this is where you can go really, really up afterwards. Mm. But you need to have felt like the, the depths, you know, of loneliness, the depths of am I going to quit and should I quit in order to feel like, okay, this is not it. I'm a fighter. I'm mm. resilient. I know I'm going to make it. And to each problem that we're facing, there is a solution. Yeah. And, and once, you, once you got the switch, I think everything changes. I think that's really powerful, right? And I talk, I talk a lot about that. I talk about embracing, embracing the negative and embracing, instead of always focusing on you know, positive, 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 which is a great strategy, right? Is to think about the positive mindset and the growth mindset versus a fix. But sometimes you get into that point where it's really difficult. And I think in sales, it's not like chemical engineering or you're building a bridge and you say, I do this, I do that, and I get an outcome. Selling what you do today, you might have a really good process, but you can't control the customer. You can't control if somebody's going to respond to your email or respond to your phone call or ghost you, right? And there's all these things that are fall outside of your control. And there's that, that real, sometimes you can get to that low point. And I think what I'm loving what you're saying is embrace getting to that point and then finding a way to build your character and capability further. So I think this is a message that not just resonates for entrepreneurs, but also resonates for sales professionals as well. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about tactics, right? So we've spoken a bit about your journey. It's an incredible journey, some great stories of Lemlist. Um, tell us what makes, because I think people are asking this and there's so many different thought leaders coming out and saying, this is how you should do it. But given you see the data every single day, what makes a great email? I think like, uh, to be entirely honest from what I can see is that a lot of people and what you see in sales is the same thing you see in life. People yeah. love shortcuts. <laughs> but the truth is like whenever you want to build relationship with people, there is no shortcuts. You know, so it's like you would never like if you want, let's say like uh, you're flirting with someone, <laughs> you're, you're never going to go and see a girl and say, I want to have sex with you. It will never work. You know, like it's a, uh, you need flirting, you need, and, and this is the same with relationships. And yep. to me, I feel like a lot of people want to use the same shortcuts, automating everything, not spending enough time, you know, with, uh, with essentially like uh, on, on researching the leads, et cetera. And, and I think this is like, from what we could see on our data, mm. like the, the level of personalization really impacts the level of replies and interest rate people are getting. So the, my advice would be really like, of course, it's important to automate some parts of the process. So first like thing that really usually like we're great is understand who is your customer and who is your ideal customer. Mm. Make sure to segment as much as possible. So have a lot of criteria on the person that you're reaching out to. Spend time on each person you're reaching out to to make sure that whenever you're reaching out, you have a nice breaker that shows genuine interest. Mm. So for example, if you reach out to Luigi, you can say, I've been listening to the Sales yeah. IQ podcast episode with Guillaume. And whenever you were talking about growth and fixed mindset in sales and how, you know, you mm. should maybe like not 
focus only on negativity, but embrace it. And you like by yeah. saying something like that, it shows that you care. It shows like it's genuine. And you know, like by reading this first sentence, I can tell that you spend time, you know, like on my profile, etc. So at least the list of the thing I can do is give you a reply. And you will see your reply rate skyrocketing. Yep. Second tips is after the icebreaker, don't go straight for the sale because some people, you know, are really good at icebreaker and then they would jump into something that has no connection at all and say, by the way, I sell pizza. Do you want pizza? And I'm like, <laughs> why? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. You know? and, <laughs> and then, you know, like it's, it's just about like making sure that you're connecting the dots. And whenever you're trying like to, to do sales, think of it as a pass to build relationship because mm-hmm. even though you've been segmenting your leads the, the right way, you have absolutely like zero way and zero like zero percent chance to know if the person is a good fit for your product and service unless you've done a discovery call. And this is true for like 99% of the businesses, except maybe, you know, like if you were selling masks during COVID and uh, the co- you know that there were a shortage yeah. in a country. But the, otherwise, you know, like you have zero options. So for all the people trying to say like, hey, um, you know, like here's the link to our sales page, go and buy and this type yeah. of thing. Stop. <laughs> the goal of a cold email or a cold LinkedIn message, it's really to build relationship and get a meeting with the person. Yeah. So to, to do that, you know, so it's about like icebreaker, connecting your value proposition to the icebreaker. So for example, like if you listen to something that matched something you know or you care about, build on this so you can start building yeah. a relationship. Have a clear call to action. So something saying like, you know, like, uh, let's meet at that day or that day, like give limited options. Calendly link also work well. Mm. And then after that, you can add like a PS as an extra. And in the PS, you can add even more personalization. For example, yeah. also check the sales IQ websites, love all the courses that you are making, something yeah. like that. And afterwards, in the follow-ups, this is where you can start bringing more value. But in your first email, you don't need to introduce yourself. Every single like email where people introduce themselves, it's like, mm. yeah, I've, everyone feels like it's spam. Yep. If, if you see a message where it's like, hey, I'm Guillaume and I'm blah, blah, you're like, yeah. fuck, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's going to be salesy. Like I'm not even looking at it it's, and it's dead. Like you should reach out as if you were reaching out to someone you know. And if people don't know you, they have your email, your signature yep. with the link to the website and they can always go check. It's normal, you know, it's like, uh, this is part of the natural curiosity. Yep. So those are, those are like, I would say the first step. Other thing is like f- people often don't follow up, which tend to be quite crazy, but you can automate your follow-up so you should do it. Yep. It's important to, because to me, as long as you've done the work of spending time on you know, like um, finding relevant information on the person you're reaching out to. To yep. me, you are allowed to follow up until you get a reply. Because to me, if you've done that job of really segmenting and working on your leads, essentially it means that you're bringing a solution to their problem. And if you are convinced that you can help people, it's in your duty to do it. Mm. And even if that means to be a bit pushy. So what I usually advise is to add like at least like four follow-ups to your email. So to your first email about like four follow-ups. So you are sure to get a, a reply from the person. Yeah. 
Yeah, because it's interesting, right? I, I, I love what you're saying. So the first step is go in with the right mindset when it comes to sending an email. Um, and that mindset is about thinking, okay, I've done my research. I know they've, you know, there is a potential problem and I'm compelled to help them. Second step is the level of pers- 